from the home of Hashtag MTAS, the movie talk on Sundays, comes Film File, the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Filmfile UK. Hello, I'm Lee Ford. And I'm Andy Meekin. And welcome to Filmfile. Um, we're back. I guess we've been away, but we are now back uh, in a new format, new show. And both Andy and I are going to be telling you uh, about some of the latest new film news that's out there. And it won't be that latest, will it, Andy? And it won't be that latest. I mean, it's hard to get completely up to date in this day and age of the internet. But um, I'm sure at some point there will also be rants and disagreements because uh, that comes naturally. And anyone who follows me over on to old Twitter sphere at thefilmfile.uk um, will know exactly how opinionated I can be. I can't wait to be opinionated at. <laughs> um, so we're going to look at uh, the big new release that's out at the moment, which is Hobbs and Shaw. But before that... We are going to, well, Andy's trawling the world of the internet to find out the latest news, goss, and things that we think you need to know about, because, well, who doesn't? <laughs> Sandy, what we got? Okay, well, um, one of the biggest um, news items that sparked my interest over the past couple of days was, were you a fan of Paul W.S. Anderson? You, you, you know the thing about Paul W.S. Anderson? This is, this is where controversy starts. I think he's a bit of a much maligned uh, filmmaker. I think he's much maligned because he's made some absolute trash. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's uh, and what he did with the Resident Evil series sort of fell apart. I've got a bit of a soft spot for uh, his Aliens vs. Predator. I don't think it's as terrible as people, people talk about it. I think uh, Event Horizon is absolutely stunning. And I know there's, a, there's, there's rumour of this, this uh, lost cut which is supposed to be fantastic, fills in all the holes and makes it much more horrific. But I, I think it's, it, was a, it was a great film. Uh, and I know Soldier sort of uh, tainted his, his his career after that and then tainted everything he's done after that. Three Musketeers, let's just forget about. Hey, I've got a lot of love for Three Musketeers. Have you? It, I, I love steampunk. I've always been a fan of steampunk. That's why I love films like Wild Wild West as well, which I get a lot of flack for. No, I've got but a soft spot. It's, um, you know, that kind of aesthetic that was brought to it it had the same kind of jovial nature of like the early seventies Three Musketeers films, um, which nothing can beat them. As far no, as the Richard Lester films. Michael were York fantastic. is fantastic in the D'Artagnan role there. But I thought that as a modern update with a steampunk aesthetic, it ticked all the boxes. And yes, he got all his sticks of like it was kind of like his laser corridor turned into a crossbow corridor and things like that. A lot of time for that, so I'm not I'm not going to stick with the, the knocking of that. Oh, but you mentioned um, Event Horizon. Um, well, the good news is that his his film of Event Horizon is being adapted to TV. You see, that that gives me joy in this other world, joyless life. Not only that, but Adam Wingard is tipped to produce and direct. Really? Adam Wingard's one of those interesting directors. I, I think Dead Birds, well, that was one of his, was yeah. it? it was Simon Barrett. Dead Birds is a fantastically uh, underseen horror movie, which which is which is downright creepy. Uh, and, and downright effective. That interests me. Event Horizon as a TV series, I, I think it, it it could it could go two ways. It could be uh, a remake with more of the film and get to know some of the characters, or it could take place after that uh, and like to see what happened on the other side of the black hole. But as I said earlier, I've got a I've got a real soft spot for Event Horizon. I think it's it's slightly maligned, and I'd, I'd like to see, and which we probably could do nowadays with with TV horror as it is. A much grittier, much dirtier, nastier, horrific version. Probably a little bit less CGI blood. We can't let it down. But I, I'm all for it. Very interesting. Do we have any uh, any other dates of when that's in production? Who is it with? The only thing that's been said is that um, with Wingard being tipped to produce and direct, it's obviously going to start pre-production once he's finished tweaking things on Godzilla versus Kong, mm. um, which is due out next year. So uh, we won't probably won't hear any further news on that until like maybe February or March next year. But as early signs to know that it's been greenlit for like mini series or full series, we don't know. Probably go to a streaming service, probably be about 10 episodes, which is what the streaming service tends to go. That gives so much potential, like you say, for like really seeing like both aspects of like this other dimension that they go into. Maybe there's other dimensions out there which aren't hell. Uh, you know, the scope for the imagination within that kind of sci-fi horror concept 
can't wait to see what comes from that. I'm in on that one. What else have we got on the um, world of the World Wide Web and movies and stuff? Um, Dune, long-awaited um, big production of Dune by... Um, I, 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 I'm going to let you say his name because I always pronounce it wrong. Yeah, he's the guy who did Arrival. Villeneuve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Apologies to him and his family who may be listening or may not be. He also made a rather beautiful Blade Runner sequel. Yeah, again... Much maligned. Uh, uh, I, I think you and I did you and I see it. I think it was more just overlooked rather than yeah. maligned. I mean, it, it, everyone who saw it praised it. It's just that hardly anyone saw it. It was very disappointing. Then again, no one, not many people saw Blade Runner the first time around. So it, it was keeping in character. Nice to see a science fiction film that, that is just that a science fiction film. Um, I think Arrival was 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 a perfect science fiction film. It's a beautiful science fiction it, film in in the way that it made you think. It, it, it didn't go for the easy option. Uh, it, it played with the genre as science fiction should. It had something to say, and that's not to knock any of your big blockbuster science fiction films of the summer. But every now and then. Uh, science fiction should be challenging. Science fiction should be about something. And I think Blade Runner was, um, the sequel was about something. It, it definitely felt true to form. Yes, it was a little overlong. I'll give it that. And it had a, it had a, a dourness that, that Blade Runner didn't. But it was, it was the same world. It was perfect. And I think Harrison Ford did some of the best work that Harrison Ford's done in years. It felt like a real return to screen film. Anyway, more about well, Dune. I, I think it was really interesting that even though Blade Runner underperformed, um, Warner still had the the whole... Foresight is the word Foresight to you put him in charge of Dune because his visual stylings are perfect for that. And anyone who's a fan of the books, like straight away got very excited as soon as he was tagged onto it. Now, their confidence in him is clearly getting even more as the film is getting further and further through production. Because it was originally slated to come out in November 2020. They've now shifted it to December the 18th, 2020. That is the prime slot, the just before Christmas slot. That's where your Star Wars films go. That's where your Avatar film came in. That's where like all your major blockbusters for the Christmas period drop into that slot. So what's the up against? Is he got well, some big contenders? I can see someone's going to back down here. It, this is gonna this is gonna be a Mexican standoff between three different films here because you've got Dune in there, you've got the Uncharted movie from Sony. I don't know if you're aware of the Uncharted Tom franchise. Holland, I believe. Yeah, um, huge franchise of games. Uh, been waiting a long time for them to come to screen. Great games. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Uh, uh, the last one was it Thieves and yeah, uh, I, I absolutely adored. I think it was it was like watching uh, it was like watching a movie. Um, yes, but Nathan Fillion is far too old to play that character. Interesting they've gone with Tom Holland on that, but that's probably for for another podcast further down the line. And then you've got um, Spielberg bringing sharks to the big screen again, but this time West Side Story. Versus the Jets, no doubt. Yes. So that's like three potential heavy hitters. Now, one of them at least has got to back down. I would imagine Uncharted being the one to back down because I think a film like West Side Story on a Christmas release, a musical... Is is our idea no really, is it? If you think of of past Christmas releases, that's the time to get that kind of movie in. Um, it's Spielberg, um, so uh, the chances of it being good are very very high. Uh, it's uh, interesting. I, I I know very little about it. I know they they're going to cast within uh, uh, racial types, which is the, the right thing to do. Um, the uh, uh, Robert Wise version is is. He's nearly perfect. I'd like to have seen the original version without the Robert Wise scenes because I think that's the, the things that hold it back. It's slightly overlong. Uh, I wonder if Spielberg will address these things and make it a tighter film. But no, I think it's going to be an interesting, a definitely interesting Christmas. And and Dune is not a, a, a is not a, a franchise that I'm familiar with. I mean, with the book franchise, uh, I know it from the from the uh, David Lynch, David Lynch Dune, film, which I've got a, a soft spot for in all its campy glory. Visually, it's marvelous. Visually, it really connects with aspects of the books. There's a lot of changes uh, to what happened in the books, and there's a huge middle chunk of the war that is missing from the film. But apparently, there was like a six and a half hour cut at one point, um, which we will never see that footage. No, and, and gone are the days where, you know, that footage used to get saved, uh, uh, used to get destroyed because now they'll save it for, for your Blu-ray extras. Interestingly enough, though, I think as audiences now, we come to expect uh, with a book adaptation that we can do them now with two or three films in a way that, that everything has to feel very, very self-contained. So I don't know um, 
where the approach is this time, whether it's just going to be a film with potential sequels cover, covering the other books, uh, or it's going to deal with a, a portion of the book. I know very little about it apart from Javier. Yes. Yeah, him. He's um, <laughs> casting it. So, no, I'm, I think it's... Uh, Javier Bardiem. Javier Bardiem. His name escaped me. <laughs> uh, but I think as a as a visual stylist, as, as a creative force, then I think the film's definitely feels in, in good hands. Um, I mean, all that I know is that working within a city centre cinema, if none of them back down, I'm booking next Christmas off. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, it's like, I think you could just do the whole one day, couldn't you? Go in, I'll start with West Side Story, I'll come into June, and I'll end it with a little bit of Uncharted, just as a bit of a, a, a palate taste. And I can imagine all three of those films will end up being um, two hours 40 to three hours 30 length, because everything seems to be pushing that envelope of like running time at the moment. Yeah, because we all got very concerned, didn't we, that... that when we thought that cinema was dead, that everything was going to go to 90 minutes and, and films were getting tighter and tauter. But it seems to be the opposite now that, that we understand, or hopefully that the, the audiences understand, that they sometimes they have to sit there and wait and watch and, and, and devour it. Yeah, I mean, you will know this better than I do working in the cinema. Is there, a, is there a, a change within audiences? Are they not afraid of sitting there for two hours and 45 minutes? Clearly with Endgame. They, they no, uh, Endgame packed out every screen. Um, people were coming out at the end, not even realising they'd been sat in there for almost three hours, including adverts. Bless Marvel. So. And talking of Marvel, um, I know we've got other things to go through, but while I'm on that track and just being Mr. Segway Man, yeah. um, did you see the uh, uh, the roster that they put up for, for oh, this next year? You couldn't have missed it. I mean, it was teased out in little dribs and drabs, and I was, I was watching it live feeding. Like as it was like an, it, their initial reveal of just the whole screen of like untitled, 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 and then one by one they went along and slapped those titles in. And by the time it got halfway down that chain, my heart exploded in my chest. <laughs> my head flew off into another universe somewhere, and it got to what if, and that was it. I was I was sold on everything that Marvel are going to do for the next two hundred years. So if you don't know, if you've been living <laughs> under a rock or you've been in a, a parallel universe, uh, Marvel have announced their next roster of films. Um, it, some interesting choices to be made on the, that new roster of uh, Phase 4. Because at the moment, the films that they've announced are none of the big hitters. So there's no Spider-Man, there's no... Uh, um, uh, clearly there's no Iron Man, there's no Captain America, and there's no Avengers. <laughs> spoiler movie. alert in case you've not seen yeah, Endgame. Yeah, not seen it. Spoiler <laughs> alert. This is going to be a spoiler-filled. Um, so if you've got, you, you're waiting for the Blu-ray release, why? But... Just going back to it, there was they've announced some very second tier characters and some in some cases third tier characters uh, as as their new plans. Now that doesn't scare me because I think everybody said Guardians of the Galaxy. Who's going to go and see that yeah. Ant Man? Who will go and see Ant Man? And they've all proved I mean, to be. Even if you throw back, their first film was Iron Man. Yeah, and Iron Man was never really a well known character outside of the comic book world. Fans of the comics like me and thee. Um, you know, we knew him, we knew Tony Stark, we knew what he'd bring. But your general public, no, they had to be sold by the trailers, and that's what did it. Guardians of the Galaxy sold it by the trailers. Because I remember when that got announced, I was a sole voice amongst everyone at the cinema just going, oh, wow, Rocket! I can't yeah. wait for Rocket! Because I remember his four-part miniseries from 84. Yeah, yeah, Bill um, Mantlo. Yeah, absolutely loved that. I've read that over and over again when it first came out and I've still got it in my collection. So I couldn't wait to see Rocket realised on the big screen, but everyone else like, oh, a talking tree and like a talking raccoon. What rubbish. Yeah. Then that trailer came out and everyone just went, whoa. The bunch of a-holes. This is going to be amazing. And and it was one of those, I, I saw it on uh, when they premiered it in Sheffield um, to a packed house. Clearly, clearly at that point, Marvel had uh, uh, was a brand to be reckoned with. And the amount of just joy in an audience of, of coming out at the end of that film, it was it was a joyful event. Um, but you're right, Iron Man, to start your, and build your franchise around, was it was a, an odd choice. I mean, the big hitters for, Mar- for Marvel at that point really are the recognisable characters, which is Spider-Man, uh, uh, the Hulk. And, and, and I will argue, uh, and I'm a, I'm a died-in-the-world Marvel fan, that they don't have the big trinity that the DC have. They're no. much more recognisable characters. Everybody kind of knows Thor. Everybody kind of knows Captain America. So there was some some big gambling going off there. There was Robert Downey Jr., who's always been recognised as a great actor, but but never a big star. Not a not a guy to open a um, certainly open a franchise with or or, or a box office gold. 
Um, so some big choices. And it looks like Marvel are doing that again. So we start with Black Widow, which is uh, in production now. Um, we're not quite sure where it's set. We've been told that it's set after Civil War. Um, so between Civil War and uh, um, what, what was she in after Civil War? She, or was it was it Civil War? Is it Winter Soldier? She's in, somewhere there. Winter Soldier. Uh, it, it, they're, they're kind of not. They're not being specific on what time. I mean, I've heard rumours that it's after Civil War, around Winter Soldier. I've heard. I've heard the phone pinging in the background. Um, I've also like recently seen rumours that some of it, at least some of it, is going to be set between Infinity War and Endgame to fill that five year gap. Um, while she was going on missions to try to covertly like bring mm. back, get information, etc. There's not a lot of information out there. All that we know is, wow, we're finally getting a Black Widow film. Yeah. Being speculated for ages. It's taken until now for them to get around to doing it. And then this is one that's, that it's almost, this is almost a fan service film, I think, because people have asked for a Black Widow film. They've asked for more, uh, more diversity with, with female characters. Yes, we had Captain Marvel earlier this year. Um, and DC are bringing out a Birds of Prey movie, which is very Harley Quinn centric. So there's, there's, it's been asked for. This is a, 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 a film that uh, Scarlett Johansson, clearly returning to play Black Widow, but has been wanted by by the fans. So uh, interesting. I, I say they've kept it, kept it very stum. Um, villain wise, do we know who the villains are in this? And I'm not. In, I'm not sure on that one. Everything at the moment is pure speculation because you know Marvel. You don't give a lot away in advance. <laughs> they give dribs and drabs. And even when the trailers are out, they keep a lot of things hidden. Well, there's that thing, isn't there? They did it with, with Spider-Man uh, uh, Far From Home, is they shoot footage and did it with Homecoming that doesn't end up making it into the movie. And yeah. there was the classic one in the uh, in the Homecoming video uh, trailer of Iron Man and Spider-Man swinging through New York. Never happened. Never happened in our film. It happened in a parallel universe. Strangely <laughs> back to parallel universes. So, yeah, we've got that. And then, we've, of course, we've got um, Marvel continuing its its domination of, of all things airways by uh, creating a series of TV programmes based on the characters that we've seen in the movies. So not like the Netflix run, the, the uh, much-missed Netflix run, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's a shame that with all the hoo-ha that happened with the disagreements between the creators of the Netflix shows and Marvel's head-on shows for MCU, is that now we just basically have to accept that everything that was on Netflix didn't actually take place. Yeah. Because they don't want it to be included. I mean, cause the cast of those Netflix shows were perfect. Yeah. And whilst we may see a Daredevil enter the MCU in a couple of years' time, it won't be the same Daredevil. Yeah. Whilst we might see a Punisher... We won't see the same Punisher after you know two or three seasons of each of them building up their characters. I think the only one that most people won't miss is Iron Fist. Yeah, um, I didn't mind it. No, I didn't I mind it. Just it. I think missed it got, the point. I think it got a lot of flack because he was an unlikable character and yeah. he's very like full of himself. But that's what his character Danny Rand was supposed to be. Yeah. But to your general public, they wanted someone who they could like from the start and yeah. not grow to like. Yeah. Um, so I get the negativity towards it. I just feel that they could have done so much more yeah, with it. Yeah, missed opportunity, Iron Fist. And it, it, I, I've got a, a script from a, a, an unmade film, which hits it, hits, the, hits it on there much better. But so, so Marvel now, with the new Disney streaming service, are going to be creating uh, a Loki. series of shows. Loki Lo- series. Loki with Tom Hiddleston, which is, sounds amazing. To, who'd, who would have thought? Who would have thought 20 years ago when you used to get so excited? I remember collecting, uh, you know, Starlog and uh, Starlog had a comics version. I think it was called Comic Scene. Yeah. And you'd look in the backs and you'd see all the films that would be in pre-production uh, and to which probably not even a third of them would ever get made. And, the, the, the you know, you used to wait for these casting decisions. Who was going to play Spider-Man? James Cameron was going to do it. You know, there's so many films that got mentioned that never, never saw and you'd wait with bated breath on a on a on a comic book movie. Who would have thought? Now we're going to have it on our <laughs> own, on our terms. We're living in a wonderful age, ladies and gentlemen. A wonderful age, and um, another reason to live for another year. Um, so we've got uh, initially we're starting with Loki, which is was hinted at in in Endgame that he's going to be jumping through time. Yeah, um, it, it's the alter. It looks like it's the alternate version of Loki because. In Infinity War, again, spoiler alert, but if you're this far behind, this is this is just ridiculous that this is a spoiler alert. Loki got killed at the start of Infinity War. Um, but the alternate version of him from another timeline runs off with the Cosmic Cube. Yeah. 
that's to well, go the back to Tesseract. History. Let's call tesseract. it the Tesseract, because that's what it's called in the news. But I'm yeah. always going to refer to it as a cosmic it cube. It is the cosmic cube. <laughs> it is the cosmic cube. It's blue and it's a box. It's a cube. Um, so, yeah, so it looks like a time-travelling Loki. And there's a, been a, an image online at the moment where he's in a, uh, it looks like a New York street. Uh, and there's a, a, a movie theatre in the background, which, which uh, points it to be in the 1970s. So we've got Loki. And then they announced, uh, after Black Widow... There's WandaVision as well, yep. which again is, is tied into the movie. Uh, interesting to see what they do with Vision because, of course, uh, spoiler alert. And again, I'll just, as my, my fine friend here said, why should we have to spoiler alert a film that now you've, you'll have seen a hundred times? Um, but Paul Bettany's back. Yep. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they play it. I've seen speculation online that it's going to be uh, the ghost of the vision. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. You know, folks, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. It's all pure speculation how they're going to do one division. Um, it's got to be intriguing because it's going to last a series of how many episodes it, it will be. So um, it's an interesting way for, for Marvel to explore some of these these characters much more in-depthly and, and in a way that, again, we never saw coming. So we've got one division. We've got what if that you mentioned earlier. Now, what if I'm a huge fan of what if? For those who don't know, what if is a series of comics that ran through the seventies and eighties, and then was revamped in the nineties for another run. And now it just comes back after they do a big event. They do like little tie-in what ifs, and it basically posits the question: What if? So there's things like what if Aunt May was the Herald of Galactus. I remember that one. <laughs> yeah, these are imaginary stories. What Based if, on imaginary stories. What if Gwen Stacy survived? What if Spider-Man like, didn't become Spider-Man? And it would posit all these different things. What if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic that Four? was, was a really one, good one. Yeah. Issue one of what if. Um, and it's, always, it's all those questions that when you read a comic, you go, oh, but ha- what if that turned out the other way? Well, basically, the creators of Mar- Marvel Comics just came up with those questions themselves and went, oh, we'll play it like this. What, what if the Hulk beats... Wolverine in a fight and killed him. What would happen there? And now they're making an animated series about it, which is going to use MCU film moments and do a what if based on each of them. And they're getting the actual cast to come back and do their voices for their actual characters. So it's going to completely feel authentic. Now, with the events of Endgame showing the parallel timelines, that means that each of these what ifs is a separate timeline. And that gives them scope to then integrate elements from that within the future multiverse aspect, because it's moving towards the multiverse. It's all going to be the multiverse, as the Doctor Strange movie title yes. has um, highlighted. So, yeah, there's a, uh, they've announced a, a Doctor Strange sequel called Mayhem in the Multiverse, isn't yeah. it? Which I'm not too keen on the subtitle, but I was, a, I was a, quite a fan of, uh, of Doctor Strange. I had a lot of elements that, that didn't quite land for me. Uh, I thought Benedict Cumberbatch looked like he was drawn by Frank Brenner, <laughs> which was amazing, and... and Complete fan casting, if you were going to cast him. I wish he'd done it with an English accent, but those are small things. But they have also announced that, that Doctor Strange will be Marvel's really first horror film. Yeah. Which is interesting. So what happens to New Mutants, which was going to be cast as the <laughs> first horror film from from the Marvel side? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, interesting. If I'd like them to go darker with Doctor Strange. I think they've got, they've got the scope to do that. We know the character now. We've... Uh, it's interesting, he started off as unlikable, ends of being unlikable, so they can do anything they want with him. But I'd like to see Marvel push, and I'm sure they will, and uh, and see where they go with that. Again, no other casting announcements made, just apart from Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, 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 Benedict Wong returning. Uh, Films-wise for Marvel, the other two which um, have got us both excited, I mean, me personally, Eternals. Oh yeah, Eternals, yeah, um, they brought out the entire cast Jack for that Kirby's one. Kirby's beautiful creations. Yeah. Um, speculating as to what storyline they're going to go with, it would be great if they tapped into Neil Gaiman's revamp of them because that would make a perfect movie because the Eternals have been around for eons. They were the protectors. Uh, But in Neil Gaiman's take, a lot of them had forgotten who they were. And so it's drawing them back into discovering who they are and becoming part of like a defence force. A great, a great entry point to the series. Um, yeah, I remember, I remember actually buying um, the original Jack Kirby run, which was very much based upon that seventies look of uh, a Chariot of the Gods. Yeah. Um, in areas that he tackled before in New Gods for DC. Um, interesting. Again, a bit like uh, what we said earlier about Guardians of the Galaxy. It's, it's quite an unknown factor. 
it's how to create very, very powerful characters. Uh, a heck of a cast in there, including Angelina Jolie, um, Selma Hayek, um, Richard Madden yeah. joining the cast on that one, who most people remember from, uh, well, from Game of Thrones, but the bodyguard for the BBC uh, last year. So, yeah, the, the, that's that's about to sort of kick off and, and, and a triumphant launch on that one. So, but I think that's going to be another big, it's going to be a big centrepiece. It's almost taking the centrepiece that the Inhumans was going to be, I think, um, when the Inhumans was originally announced as a film rather than becoming the shoddy TV series it became. But uh, it becomes a big centrepiece for, for the Marvel Universe and will take us into other directions. But my personal favourite and the one I've been I've been looking forward to for Donkey's Years, um, Shang-Chi movie. Oh, I'm a, It's one of those comics for me that... Uh, I, I just absolutely adore. Originally created by Steve, Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin. Uh, and it was cashing on the Kung Fu craze. Yes, I'm that old. I remember the Kung Fu craze. <laughs> and it was uh, it, it tied into everything that, that was very current about that time. A bit of black exploitation, uh, the Bruce Lee movies, the, the Hong Kong movies, the uh, 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 Kung Fu TV series, David Carradine. It was very much to, to represent that. And tied into Fu Manchu, who... Um, as one of those villains has not aged particularly well, but I also thought they did him very well in um, uh, in the in the comics and got away from some of the more uh, sort of racist caricatures, caricatures that, that the books and, and some of the early films definitely had and made him much more of a supervillain. Uh, but this time it looks like they're going to take the whole Fu Manchu thing and tie it in to where the whole Marvel Universe first started, which was with uh, the, uh, the Cult of the Ten Rings. Yeah. Um, which a lot of people, when it came to Iron Man 3, were quite disappointed on how it... Not me, but yes, I can understand in. that. Yeah, I, I get it, but I actually loved it because it was a complete curveball. Uh, yeah, they're good at that. They've hinted afterwards, they've, they've hinted so many times afterwards that, yeah, okay, so Mandarin in that film wasn't Mandarin, but Mandarin is a name that's passed on to different leaders of this organisation over time. Yeah. And now it's a true Mandarin who's yeah. going to rise to power. Because there's this little short, I can't remember which uh, uh, which disc it was on, uh, which had... Uh, Long Live the King. Yeah, Long Live yeah. the King, which is very funny and well worth seeing, in which the Trevor character, uh, played by Ben Kingsley, who we all thought was going to be the Mandarin, um, basically uh, is almost assassinated by a, a Mandarin assassin. Yes, I know it was a spoiler, and I should have said before, but it's been four <laughs> years, folks. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested. I, I Sang-Chi, the Doug Mensch... Uh, Paul Galassi run is just one of the best runs in comics ever. When you point to fantastic, uh, fantastic uh, runs on in any series, that's the one to go back to. Um, it was a mixture of um, later on uh, spy thrillers, uh, um, Pulp Fiction, uh, and I mean Pulp Fiction as in um, one of the characters being uh, the son of James Bond, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, as well as the kung fu thing. And uh, fantastic. And I'd like to see how they're going to do that. And they've cast. That uh, with Tony Leung playing the Mandarin, who's a, yeah. a film you know from your Hong Kong cinema, and I can't remember the chap's name was playing Shang Chi, but it, I saw a clip with him looking very excited. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Marvel's got a a nice few years ahead of it. And of course, the the surprise one, if you get to see the clip that came out of nowhere, was uh, was Blade. Who saw that coming? Yeah, and what great casting as well i mean uh wesley snipes has been kind of um polite but also like a bit sulky in his responses which i think is uh typically wesley snipes yeah and, and <laughs> let's be honest it was in his uh i can't remember when the last one came out we we're looking over over 12 13 years ago um if not if not longer then certainly longer than than wesley snipes had a career recently um but the guy's got to be in I've got to say, what, his, his, 50, his mid-50s, early-60s, uh, and and Blade needs to be, um, and to fit into the Marvel Universe as it is now, then he needs to be a younger guy. So fantastic casting on that one. Uh, interesting to see who they assign as a director. Yeah. Um, with Marvel, basically, uh, safe and comfortable in the next, like, 200 years' worth of film and TV, uh, where do we think DC are at this point in time? Well, I mean... That's interesting. I mean, there's uh, the, the, the big success with uh, with Aquaman. They've got uh, Wonder Woman coming up, and they've got Birds of Prey. They've got uh, however they're going to fit it all in order. They're going to bother fitting it in with a, with a new Batman movie, um, starring uh, Robert Peterson. 
Yeah. Which is an interesting choice. I think he's a he's a, a fine actor, and some of the work he's done with uh, with uh, uh, some more indie based directors. Uh, the current film, The Lighthouse, is well worth seeing. So, I, I, interesting. But um, is, what is next? What do we get next from them? To be honest, it's uh, I, I think it's isn't it the Wonder Woman? Is, no, it's Birds of Prey is definitely the next one that we Birds of Prey, that. and then there's Wonder Woman. Aquaman hasn't been mentioned yet. Uh, James Wan. Black Adam somewhere in the pipeline don't as well. Don't get that as a movie. Uh, we've, got, oh, we've got the Joker movie. Oh, the yeah. Todd Phillips um, Joker although movie. Although that's not officially like DCEU. Yeah. It's um, it's a, an Elseworlds tale, basically. Yeah. Which is kind of DC's what if. And, for those I, I think that DC should go down that route and not force them all together. Apparently that's what they're planning to do going forwards is like, let's just make films for each of these characters. And if it does link in, it links in or otherwise ignore any continuity errors. They shouldn't try to bring them together just because Marvel have managed to do it. Marvel took a lot of time getting to there. Um, I think where they've had the stumbling box with the DCEU is that they tried to fast track it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, it resulted in the whole Snyder mess and regardless what side of the fence you are on the Snyder thing, uh, as Kevin Smith's now recently weighed in on the whole Snyder cut. Yes, I, I read something about this. Fill us in for those who've not been on the World Wide Web recently and discovered Kevin Smith's take on the on the Snyder vision of the Snyder cut. Okay, the Snyder cut. For those who don't know, Justice League got um, re- edited and reshot after Snyder was removed from the project in the March. Um, Joss Whedon took over, added some film, like added some scenes in change some things around, and the end result, we don't know exactly what was Joss's and what was Snyder's, but the Snyder fans clearly believe that they know exactly which scenes like were replaced, and they've always been campaigning for this Snyder cut, because Snyder, as a self-promoter that he is, I mean, he loves to blow his own horn, um, he takes every opportunity to talk about this almost finished cut, almost finished cut. But he's been releasing stuff on Instagram and and, and stuff on Twitter about about... You know his costume designs. He, he recently released a, um, a dark side who uh, who was going to be his um, his overriding villain because I think he's, the Justice League was going to be three films or was it two. Films it was going to be two films, um, which he was unaware of when it got pulled back to one film until about a month later. When in an interview, it was mentioned to him and he looked confused. Right, um, and I think that's where a lot of this has come from is because I think that the Snyder cut and I speculated this over the past few months. The Snyder cut was an unfinished film. And that's why it had to get redone and finished because Warners didn't want it to be a two-parter and that's why he was moved off the project. Now, Kevin Smith has weighed in um, to say that he's not seen it first and um, spoken now to enough people at various levels in that production and he's confirmed that there is a Snyder Cut for sure, that it's not a mythical beast, that it exists. Now, and this is quoting Kevin Smith, now it's not a finished movie by any stretch of the imagination. There were things that went away from the story that they shot that didn't wind up going into visual effects or anything like that. So I would assume, based on what I've been told, that large sections of that Snyder Cut are, you know, pre-vis. Lots of green screen. We're not talking a finished movie. The one I've heard everyone speak of was never a finished film. Depending on which sources you are reading for this news, as you can tell whether they're on the side of the Snyder Cut and want it to be released, or they like myself, they believe that it does exist, but not in a finished format and it will never get released. I've seen some reporters headlining it. Kevin Smith confirms that it's ready for release. Would you clearly buy that quote? It, it, it doesn't sound anywhere near from release. Because they basically missed the whole middle section of his full quote in order to like sell this half story. And, you know, I get that people want to see it. I mean, I, I loved when we got the Donner cut of Superman 2. Yes. And there's unfinished scenes in there and I accepted it for what it was and I love like seeing the different aspects. But, come on, Justice League didn't perform how they expected it to perform. Warners are not going to channel enough money in to finish that up in any way. If they release an unfinished film, a work print, and I've seen work prints and you really have to know that you're watching a work, work print and accept that it's a work print to be able to appreciate them. Your general public, if they see a work print, are going to think that's a load of rubbish. If Warner's released this work print as it is, they will get criticism from the Snyder Cut fans saying, you've deliberately sabotaged it to make it look bad. (laughs) So Warner's, like, regardless of what they do, they either have to spend loads of money and make a loss, or spend no money, give the Snyder Cut fans what Snyder says exists, and then suffer the feedback from that. Of course they're not going to release it. 
No, I need to, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a big cost incentive to release a film that's, that clearly, uh, as Kevin Smith saying, is an unfinished film. Um, clearly when this, he, he took whatever cut back to the studio, the studio didn't have confidence in. Um, that's what I'd heard, um, that they weren't happy with, with how the film, film looked and where it was going. And it's not what they, they, they'd ordered off the menu. Um, so a lot of work and a lot more additional money had to be spent um, to get it into a stage where bringing another director, which of course is again costly, um, to cut something together to to fulfil a vision of the studio. Um, Josh Whedon's been very very quiet about it, uh, uh, gentlemanly enough so about it, and I, th- I think that's the best way to be. Yes, we'd be interested to see some of some of the outtakes. The only way that you could make it work would be as a limited edition uh, Blu-ray release or, or for um uh for download or something like that but there's no way that uh, that because it underperformed so much that the, the studio are going to chuck money into finishing a visual effects uh having an editor go in scoring it etc etc it's not going to happen it's not a complete film that sat in a vault somewhere waiting and dying to be released it's not a it's not a classic it's bits of a film that could be cut together to create a bitty film rather than anything that's complete in in, in any sense of the word so um, as I posited, I mean, you know, if Warners would like at least speculate as to how much it would cost them to release it, then let's see if all the campaigners for the Snyder Cut will crowd funds to get to that amount. If it reaches it, then Warners should be committed to releasing it because that that they'll have all the money in advance. I don't. I, there's a lot of noise on the Snyder Cut online. Yeah, there was a lot of noise on Snakes on a Plane online. Yes, how did that work out? Yeah, and, and you know, and let's be let's be positive. The the film. Uh, did make money, but it it underperformed market in the marketing sense and underperformed enough to kill a franchise. So there's, there's clearly not an audience out there who are desperate to see it, other than and when I'm saying audience, I mean wider wider audience. But I I, I do believe that you know it, it could go to Blu-ray. I've seen I've seen the Alien Three uh, work print that appeared on on the uh, Aliens uh, Alien uh, yeah. box set, and 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 it's an interesting film. It feels unfinished because it is. There's some some effects work which is purely shoddy because it's not a finished film. That's the only way we shall perhaps ever see the light of Maybe day. like 10, 15 years down the line when yeah. they do like a reissue of the original film that you yeah. get a two-disc set, one with the work print, one with yeah. the release Yeah, but version. we're not going to see it in cinemas, folks. So stop holding your breath. You'll only go blue and die. <laughs> uh, just a quick summary of other bits of news because uh, uh, we wow we're almost on 40 minutes already wow we've still got wow. Hobbs and Shaw to talk about yeah um, so Baby Driver 2 Baby Driver fantastic film yeah. uh, it, it, again Netflix, it hits every beat literally um, well Ansel Elgort has said that the script for Baby Driver 2 does exist and Edgar Wright has shared the details with him but he won't go into any further detail from that he says that's for Edgar to talk about and Edgar Wright has said that it, it might happen at some point. So I wouldn't be surprised if after his next couple of projects, we'll see an announcement for it. But it, apparently it's unlikely to be titled Baby Driver 2. It's right. going to be released as a different name. Interesting. So um, that, that got me excited. I mean, if you can just do that mesh of like editing of music and visuals together so perfectly. It was a musical. I was thought. I saw it as a musical. brilliant film. The more that you watch it, the more you appreciate the effort that went into it. Um, fans of video games transferred to film and there are some of them out there and there's one or two films that are actually quite good uh, I've been getting excited about The Division um, the game which is set in a dystopian future where the pandemic virus has taken over like New York and the East Coast and a group of civilians who were trained are activated to try to restore order cracking game series um, Jake Gyllenhaal and Jessica Chastain oh, linked to the very project interesting. Um, so hopefully this might end up being the fifth game to film worth seeing. Yeah, I still um, want to see those it. For those who are interested, Mortal Kombat, Silent Hill, Detective Pikachu, and Tomb Raider are the other four. Yeah, um, a discussion for another time, I think. Yes, I think I think we could do a whole show about oh, video absolutely. game movies easily. And uh, James Wan, who gave us films like Saw, Insidious, and The Conjuring, and crafted beautiful franchises. Well, reasonably good franchises with Saw. And then really like solid, like low budget horror franchises, Insidious and Conjuring franchise, um, is now working on another horror project. Mm. Um, and again, he wants to keep it low cost, um, realistic effects, low on CGI, tight on horror. That's the way a horror film should be for me. They should, 
the zeitgeist of great horror films are, are all the low budget ones and uh, uh, um, and that's where pure horror lies I think rather than sort of big glossy CGI and talked about it very early at the beginning of the program which was Resident Evil was spoiled by being a CGI fest yeah. and that's the news from the World Wide Web brought to you this week um, so review we need a jingle we're going to have to get a jingle to go in there <laughs> um, we both went to see um, Hobbs and Shaw uh, which is uh, an extension of the Fast and Furious uh, um, series of films and uh, you're, you're not versed in the Fast I'm and Furious I'm not films, I know of Fast and Furious by the fact that it was Point Break with street racing. And we've come a long way from Point Break with street racing to, to the film we've got now. We have a universe, which is interestingly, um, that Chris Morgan, who's, who's behind the, these films, has, has created surreptitiously maybe, but it, there is a universe out there. And Hobbs and Shaw is, the first, is my entry point. I stayed away from them. Um, I'm not much of a petrol head. Um, so that that aspect, and, and kind of, and no disrespect to anybody who's in that audience, they weren't my audience. They weren't my films, and they weren't my audience. I, 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 I um, the whole Paul Walker thing. He was, he was a, 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 an OKHB actor, uh, and everything that went with him. It was very tragic that, that what happened to him. But you know, he, it's all part of a, um, of a subcult connected to these films that I, I just don't feel a part of. That's to take nothing away from it before Twitter starts tearing me a new one. <laughs> I have nothing against them. They just didn't appeal to me. However, we went to see Hobbs and Shaw. Yes. Um. Myself, I come from the aspect of I've seen all the Fast and Furious films. Um, I've been involved in it since the beginning. And again, I'm not really a petrol head, but I embraced the cheese factor of a lot of them. The first film wasn't very cheesy. Like you say, it was point break with street racing. It was very brutal, very gritty, down to earth. It was realistic. And then the second film was garbage because um, Vin Diesel wasn't back. Paul Walker was. And like you say, Paul Walker, he, he can't carry a film on his own. No, he was, he, he was not a leading good man. looking guy, but he was he was great as great as an ensemble. However, it got to the third film, Tokyo Drift. And I loved the hell out of that. There's something about um, the, the street racing like um, by the, the casual art of driving sideways everywhere that comes out of Japan that I absolutely adore. And I could have watched that film over and over again and never got bored. But everyone's everyone like turned against the franchise at that point. Like, well, we don't know what's going on. That was on the here. Halloween three of the. You've added new things in, and this isn't part of it. And loads of people, fans of the series, like at that point, were like, "Well, this isn't proper Fast and Furious film." Joke was on them when later on in the franchise that got brought in. Oh, really? As like part of the continuity, oh, that's cool. it was set like before that. the events of um, the previous films and worked from there. I know I didn't know that. I'm, I'm glad they didn't did much malign it. So, uh, but that that's all because of Chris Morgan because he came on board on Tokyo Drift. That's when he started writing screen, helping with the screenplay, and he's been involved in every film since. So he knew what he wanted to weave in and what he wanted to weave back. And the timeline gets a bit weird um, if you put it all through. But from that point onwards, you get to the fourth film, and the opening sequence is so ridiculously over the top. You have to just sit back and go, "This is not." the same franchise, but you know what? I'm going to enjoy the ride as it goes along. And from that point onwards, we ended up with like tanks racing on freeways. We ended up with uh, parachuting vehicles out of like backs of planes. We ended with a runway that apparently was about 400 miles long, which is how long <laughs> it took. All the laws of physics and everything went out the window because it all became about the spectacle. And it was interesting to see the critical reviews that the first film did well, then it bottomed off like for the second and the third. And then as the critics started to embrace the silliness, the reviews got better. And the last couple of films have been like in the 70s and 80s on oh, Rotten Tomatoes. So a lot more critics are just going in and going, you know what? Let's just accept this for the summer blockbuster mindless action that it is. And it has got a bit of heart, but it's a lot of cheese. And if you can embrace the cheese, the franchise is worth visiting. But you get to Hobbs and Shaw. Which is, which just so, I do talk about the timeline, I understand. So this is a sidestep within the universe. This is the uh, uh, Birds of Prey and the Suicide Squad of, of uh, the DC universe uh, and the Ant-Man of, uh, of, of Marvel, if I, to, to find a reference point of it. So we've got two characters who, who came to adversarial, I believe, in the yeah. original versions. Um, right uh, up until the, like, the last one of the Fast and Furious films. But by the end of them, why they were part of the family because it's always up family. Family, yeah, there was a big, big reference thing. to family, and in like this all one. their disputes and bickering had stopped. But we forget that for this film, yeah, because it starts off and they hate each other already. Great, so we've got Dwayne Johnson, 
uh, The Rock and we've Rock got the Dwayne Johnson Rock the Dwayne Johnson <laughs> uh, and Jason Statham playing uh, the, the titular characters of uh, Hobbs and Shaw uh, we've got Idris Elba who plays the uh, super uh, powered uh, bad guy uh, Brixton which I think is not just his name but where he comes from uh, and um, the actress whose name has just escapes me right now Vanessa Shaw yeah. coming in and playing uh, Jason Statham's sister Hattie who she is an SAS member who uh, absorbs a uh, powerful um, uh, killer uh, germ warfare piece of... Uh, it will apparently melt all your insides yeah. out. We're not like, quite sure it works. It can be programmable. It, it, it keeps spread getting mentioned. ridiculously once it gets activated. But she's ingested it um, in order to protect it. But it's, it's ingested in a capsule form into her bloodstream. That will degrade after so it was much thirty time, hours, I think, and like I'm that. sure it was more than thirty hours, but yeah, it was something like that. Uh, and these two characters are brought in, one by the CIA, one by uh, British intelligence, to to uh, uh, find her initially and um, and basically take on this evil organization, which was very very super villainish. I thought um, along the way, you've got you've got the the banter between the two characters, which is the best bit of the film for me. Is seeing the interplay between these two characters who who do clearly hate each other on screen. Uh, for the first part of it, of course, the amazing stunt work. Um, every every act has a, a major sequence, right bang in the middle of it. Uh, a, a car chase through through London, a car chase through Chernobyl, very car orientated, and then one as we get into uh, the, the the final act, which involves a, a helicopter. And do you remember that game, Pick Up Monkeys? It's about as close as I'm going to get without giving any spoilers. But for something as ridiculous as it is, and I couldn't really tell you the plot because it's a bit like Chinese fast food. You 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 enjoy it while you're eating it, come away, and you can't quite remember what you've had. But I do know for the two hours or so that I was in there, I, I had a silly grin on my face and and thoroughly thoroughly had a good time of it. And maybe now we'll go back and retrospectively go back and go into the Fast and Furious movies and see if I can get the same sort of silly smile back. It, it's but, an absolutely bonkers film but strangely enjoyable. But it's in a, like, I don't care if I ever see that film again. Yeah. But I'm glad that I saw it because, same as you, I was just grinning. Yeah. I was just caught up in it. I did find that the bickering between them for the first 40 minutes, it kind of got a bit too, like, you know, a second-rate yo mama. Um, And it felt like they were just trying to improvise and they just kept too many improvisation moments in there. But after the first 40 minutes, they kind of eased up on that. And it started just becoming little quips every now and then. That became the buddy bonding. movie then, didn't it? Yeah. It, it, it got a bit more natural and flowing from that point onwards. And, you know, it draws upon the family thing that's always been a thing in the Fast and Furious franchise as we explore, like, the background of The Rock's character. Um, and we also, like, get a lot of family aspect from Statham's character, including a, a, a nice welcome return of Helen Mirren. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, some, some neat little cameos. And, and um, I'm not going to mention here... But if you look at David Leach's, uh, who was the director's <laughs> previous film, it's very easy to work out who his cameo is. Um, and yeah, it made me si- a big silly smile for most of the film. Thoroughly had a good time with it. Better film than than I at- actually anticipated to. Uh, um, more watched it out of the fact that I knew we were doing this than wanted to see it. But uh, I certainly would, certainly was entertained and be interesting to see where this goes. Um they definitely laid the seeds for like a, another film in this spin-off franchise. I mean, the whole film is a setup for like this big major organization that they, they're obviously going to battle at future dates. Um, I, I do get the feeling that the reason why this spin-off franchise was created was because of all the reports on the last couple of Fast and Furious films of the onset disputes between The Rock and Vin Diesel. Right. They didn't see eye to eye. Oh, okay. Those they, are the two uh, eyes that you don't want to get because, in court in because the Vin Diesel is basically like the 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 produce, main producer for the core series, likely we're not going to see The Rock mix back into there because he really didn't mm, That's like interesting. It. But it, it'd be stupid to not latch into his star power and use him in another vehicle. So this looks like it's been spun off to enable to keep The Rock within the franchise, but separate from the franchise, and have fun with him. And, because, and you do. Because he's huge at the moment. Yeah. I mean, we've got Jumanji 2 coming up soon. Well, Jumanji 3. Is it Jumanji? I've lost track. It's Jumanji... <laughs> 2.3. Do, do, we, do we include Zathora in amongst the Jumanji films? Oh, yeah, yeah that's an interesting point. <laughs> Open for debate, twi- you find us on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm interested to know. I know that Chris Morgan's really building up to his uh, Fast and Furious in Space, which is where he <laughs> wanted to take it. And and this film sort of paves the way for that in, in yeah. many ways. With it goes the, very sci-fi. The unidentified villain. Um, a lot of fun. It's playing at your local cinemas right now. 
uh, if you want to get Fast and Furious. And this is a great entry point if, like me, you don't know. If you're interested in the franchise, it's a great place to uh, to start with. Uh, and we're just about to wrap it up. So before we're going to do, we're going to um, just wrap this up by saying, um, is there anything interesting that you've done, seen, want to talk about, uh, watched, uh, read, anything? It doesn't have to be movie related. Um, any neat thing that you want to you want to bring up? Well, my my time recently has been taken up not only with like getting ready for them um, once upon a time in Hollywood. Well, like, shortly we were through, talking about next through everything Tarantino, and we'll discuss that on our next podcast. Can't wait. Um, but TV wise, um, the streaming services at the moment are just um, gems throughout. The Boys came out. And it's as brutal, bloody, and nasty as the comic, but also hilarious to boot. Never, never read the book, but a fan of Garth Ennis as the preacher, uh, and and a lot of the same tropes that that he uses, which is. Uh, the last episode that I saw was ended with a, a dolphin being thrown through a windscreen. Uh, that's very, very Garth Ennis. Yeah, I've seen that. Very enjoying it. And uh, the, speaking of preacher, uh, the latest season, which will be the final season, has now started. The first two episodes came out this weekend, so that's going to keep me occupied for the next ten to twelve weeks, depending on how many episodes we've got. I don't know what, how many it's got this season. Can't wait to see how they wrap it all up. Um, I know that they've deviated substantially from the comic series. But you know what? I don't mind because it's got the feel of the comics perfectly. And then um, you've also got there was another show. There was. I, I'm. I don't know. I can't remember what we said. I'm oh gonna... yeah, I'm catching up with Legion. Oh yeah, Legion's uh, again uh, another work, show that's been cancelled. But they were they were given this final season um, enough notice to be able to tie it all up. And I'm four episodes into this uh, last season. I think I'm two. And I'm, I'm loving it. I mean, I love Legion. Yeah, it's I, it's bonkers. I'm surprised it lasted this many seasons because the first season was so out there that it put a lot of audiences off. But Fox, bless them, had like the decency to keep it running. And now we'll get to see a final resolution for it. Fantastic. It'd be a shame that this won't be a part of the MCU now that um, it's going yeah, forward. The, I know there's a uh, Professor X character appealing in this. Uh, my quick, quickly on mine, uh, Dead to Me, which is on Netflix, which is not a series that I, I would have thought I would have watched and my other half started to watch it. Uh, about a, uh, two women, um, one whose husband uh, was killed in a hit and run and about putting her life back together and uh, the best friend that she acquires um, has had uh, accidentally uh, was the one who killed her her husband great series very well written um read some poor reviews for it and and can't see it that's that's dead to me on netflix uh, and uh reading wise uh comics wise uh the immortal hulk which is an absolutely <laughs> stunning series by marvel a take on uh the hulk that i've i've not seen for for, for donkey's years it's a really really fresh take um i'm really going back to that stanley jack kirby um where the, the Hulk was clearly evil and was more Mr. Hyde and uh, uh, absolutely brilliant read. I'm just into the uh, second graphic novel um, reprint and I can't wait to read the next one. Absolutely stunning read. And that's it for The Film File. Uh, we'll see you uh, very, very soon. Uh, I've been Lee Ford and you've been... I've been sat here. <laughs> I've been Andy Meekin of Film File. Um, thank you for listening and uh, keep an eye out for our future. And contact us on Twitter. Contact us on Twitter by following at Filmfile UK or on Facebook at Facebook slash Filmfile UK.